Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. What is up, Mets fans? Welcome back to another episode of the Mets Up Podcast. I know we've been doing some off-season episodes. This one is the real off-season episode. World Series is over. The Texas Rangers are the champions. We're ready to start talking about the 2024 season, which means what players are coming back to the Mets, what players they have brought back, what players are available on free agency. Me and James, I think, are going to draft our five best fits for the Mets this offseason, so you guys will see that a little bit later on in the episode. And just talking about everything that's been going on in Mets world. So thank you guys for tuning in, listening, watching, whatever you're doing. Make sure you follow us on our social media, at MetsUp on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Go subscribe to the New York Mets YouTube channel so you can see the video version of this. And if you're listening to us, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, Odyssey, drop us a rating, drop us a review, download, and subscribe. We really appreciate it. James, haven't seen you in a few days. How you feeling after we left the desert? Yeah, feeling weird since we left the desert. Desert always just makes like my hair and my eyes and my skin and my throat feel weird. I'm not I'm not built for that lack of humidity. I need I need the moisture in the air. But overall, fun time. Really cool being at some World Series games. Cool, I guess, for us individually to see the Texas Rangers win. I know we we liked, we wanted to see them win, even though we were in Arizona and wanted to see our friends celebrate the World Series. But great season for the Rangers. They did a lot of things right. I think there were so many people in media, too, like inside the Mets world and outside the Mets world being like, they just did this with a lot of the money. Now maybe another team could do this with a lot of the money. And I think that's kind of now where a lot of Mets fans are at heading into the offseason here now that free agency has officially begun. Yeah, no, it's it's pretty cool to see that a team that spent one, and it's a great sign for the Mets because we know the Mets will spend as they have the last two years, and there are a ton of great free agents that we will tell you guys all about here in a few minutes that hopefully the Mets will spend some money on because they could definitely help make this team into a World Series contender again after what was a disappointing 2023. But before that, let's talk about some of the guys that are coming back already because we have some big news. Brooks Raley, back. Brought him back. Brooks Raley, been one of the best left-handed relievers in baseball the last couple of years. Was great with the Mets this past season. I know, James, you're a big fan of his. And he was also super friendly to us at spring training. So we're happy to see Brooks back. Yeah, very friendly. And it's nice having a left-handed reliever in modern baseball that you know can get both. You can trust to get both lefties and righties out. He was kind of the one who held together this bullpen most of the season, especially after David Robertson was traded at the deadline. It was kind of like, all right, we got Brooks Raley. And that's... He was the one getting the big yep. outs most nights. And he did a great job of it the whole year. And, and he, I think, for $6.5 million, is a total bargain. It was a no-brainer for David Stearns in the front office. Definitely. And then we lost Adam Adovino. Adovino did not pick up his player option. I uh, believe he wanted to come back, but ended up not being able to make it work. Adovino had a pretty solid career with the Mets. Uh, super, another really nice guy. I think one of the first people we actually talked to on the field back when we were just doing some quick little social media bits with guys. And we asked Adam Adovino, what music do you listen to before the game? And he said, lo-fi hip-hop, which was just one of the most shocking answers. I couldn't even believe it. But uh, yeah, I'm sure he'll he'll find a place. And may- maybe he comes back. Who knows? We, we're not sure. But uh, Adam Adovino gone. Yes, yeah, possible. He had two quite good years with the Mets. But I think he also, um, definitely, there was definitely a massive step back this year compared to 2022. And he kind of felt that way about the whole team. But him especially, like 2022, he felt like he was super locked in. Last year was like, hmm, I don't really know. And just like based on his pitch mix, it's always going to be a struggle for him to get lefties out, especially just fastball sweeper, fastball sweeper. A lot of the time he tried to mix in a few more pitches this year, but I think it kind of convoluted the whole thing, but he's someone who's really nice to talk to someone who was always very respectful of us. I know him and Vito had a nice little relationship too, kind of uh friends. I will, I'll go as far as say they were friends and he's a hope wish him all the best. And of course we have to talk about what's the biggest move coming in for the New York Mets this off season thus far. Huge acquisition. Mets, uh, you guys you guys probably heard about it. You saw the news. Zach Short, they brought mm-hmm. in Zach Short. 
Uh, utility man, plays shortstop, second base, third base. I think he's even played a little outfield. Fun fact about him, New Yorker from Kingston, New York. I don't know where Kingston, New York is. Maybe you do, James, but he's a Sacred Heart guy as well, which was that during Bobby V's time, Bobby Valentine, another Met connection. He was like, think the AD at Sacred Heart for a little bit. But uh, yeah, Zach Short coming to the Mets. That's the news you guys have definitely been waiting for. Yep, that was the big news for Monday, the acquisition of Zach Short. And it was just good, good utility, guys, because he seems like the replacement for Danny Mendick. So John would be a little disappointed going from uh, Danny Mendick to Zach Short, but it's still, still good. Nice organizational depth. Yep, and then we also got to see David Stearns talk to the media, GM meetings going on in Scottsdale. A lot of good things going on over there, James. What are you thinking about it? Now, Stearns had a great, great set uh, conversation with the media today. Just there's a lot of stuff going on, and a lot of people asking questions. The general managers meeting over there in Scottsdale, and just some great sound bites pulled from that. First of all, he said that his first impression of the organization was that everyone was proud to be a part, a member of a member of the Mets organization. Wonderful to hear. He talked about coaches, front office personnel, players specifically. He's like, people are proud to be Mets, and he basically like gave a little like side eye, a little like cheeky answer, like. Wasn't always like that. Cool that it is like that now. That was a nice thing to hear. And he also, um, in regards to Craig Council, he very candidly said he just did not see that coming. He said Council's always a guy who plays things close to his vest. He said he played this very close to his vest. And he never really, during the whole process, had a read of what Craig Council wanted to do and then just was surprised basically everybody else was the whole way there. And uh, the other big part of uh, you know hiring process is that he doesn't expect the Mets to fill the GM position this offseason. And basically said, also kind of cheeky, that we have enough going on. He said the front office has been working together well, and hiring another general manager is a process that takes immense time, and they just don't have that time right now. Yeah. I mean, like the the whole Craig Council thing, he got five years, $40 million from the Cubs. The dude's going to be making more Allegedly. money than Ozzy Albies and a lot of players from uh, in Major League Baseball. So shout out to Craig Council, got his money, allegedly, uh, getting paid over there in Chicago. But yeah, the GM position, like you said, like we we saw Billy Epler obviously, you know, step away from the Mets, um, and David Stearns being the president of baseball operations. While GM will probably eventually get filled at some point, I'm sure during his time as president, it's definitely not the most important thing going on right now, especially because it does seem like David Stearns is really calling all the shots as he should be. Yeah, it seems like he's kind of like relishing in that too. He's like, I'm just gonna start calling some shots here. Like I'm gonna go, I'm gonna do the player acquisition stuff. Like I'm happy to be the whole the whole role right now. And we also know that. The Mets do have other people in position, baseball operations underneath um, Davis Stearns. Like we still have Zausmers here, and I'm sure there's going to be some other people that come in in lesser roles, assistants, vice presidents, things like that, assistants to general managers. So I think there is a decent infrastructure in place. I'm sure also like it has been a full month since he was introduced. If he started working with this group for a little while and was like, all right, I actually don't think there's enough. We have to right now like set our sights on GM and make it top priority. I'm sure that would have been the top priority of the last few weeks, but it didn't have to be. He made that assessment and I trust it. Yeah, no, 100%. And I mean, like just hearing him also talk about like what he thinks about for the future of the Mets, how he wants to build this organization out, talked about, you, you know, you have to be able to compete consistently for a championship. That's something he wants to do. That's something we've heard Steve Cohen from the time that he came here talk about. He wanted to be Dodgers, Dodgers East, essentially, which is strong farm system, a team that's consistently competing for championships. Granted, Dodgers still haven't won a real world series, but they do compete every single year for one. There's no doubt about that. And he said, generally, you don't do that by rating your farm system. Never say never, obviously, but like what he was able to do in Milwaukee as well with some of the guys that he's been able to, you know, develop and bring in just on the international level, like a Jackson Chorio out in Milwaukee. Like there's been some really good players moving through that system. He's a guy who definitely knows what he's doing. Definitely. And he also said that they're not really going to be afraid. Again, everything has to shake out. We don't know what's going to happen in the offseason. He said he would love to be in a position where the Mets just have five to six veteran starting pitchers all ready to go and could pitch the innings they need. But he said competition is not a bad thing. So if we go into the spring and there's a couple spots that are up in the air, like I, I'm comfortable telling guys, like, hey, one of you is probably going to get the ball because playing time. We're going to see who we think deserves it. And that's something that can be fluid. And he also said specifically, especially when talking about not trading uh, prospects or like not being like our plan A is to trade prospects, that they he's not afraid to design a roster with enough flexibility for young players to get opportunities if they're deserving of it. And that was something that was a huge theme in Milwaukee the last two years. I'm just saying, here are our prospects, go play. Like go be young, go yep. be athletic, go do what you have to do. And with that though, again, the other side of that, he did say pitching is absolutely a priority this offseason for the Mets. That's gonna like lead us, start transitioning us into our nice free agency discussion. It's gonna be the bulk of this podcast. But pitching's priority, and he said that doesn't necessarily just mean starting pitching. It doesn't necessarily just mean 
acquiring pitchers. He said more specifically, he's talking about run prevention as a whole, which was one of the trademarks of all of his Milwaukee teams, being able to just stop other teams from putting runs on the board. That is starting pitching, yes, but it's also relief pitching. That's also defense. Defense, something that was absolutely a mainstay of all of Stern's teams in Milwaukee. Partially, it kind of seemed like that was strategic because sometimes defense is the cheapest thing you can buy because power is very expensive. Athleticism is very expensive. Young athletic hitters are very expensive, but you can find guys and make things with defense where you can kind of play underneath the market. Maybe that's not exactly how it's going to be done in New York. It's going to be a very different budget that David Stern is working with. Very different, um, I don't know, very, very different style. I think this team already has, and those Milwaukee teams have just having two superstars on the diamond and Pete Alonso, Francisco Lindor, and even Brand Nimmo is a good place to start there. But it's interesting that in this first opening to the media, he was like, yes, run prevention, pitching, run prevention, pitching, which we do know are things that were very prevalent in Milwaukee. Oh, so prevalent. I mean, you look at that rotation, that bullpen every single year, even taking away the defense thing. Like Abner Uribe came up this year and was like, oh, I'm like one of the 10 best relievers in baseball possibly right now. You never heard of me? I'm sick. Corbin Burns developing him. Brandon Woodruff, like all these guys that just seemingly pop up out of nowhere at points in their careers and then end up becoming just super, super consistent major leaguers. Stuff that I'd love to see happen with the Mets and hopefully it does. Definitely. And one other thing that he said, the last thing I think of interest to you guys is that someone asked him a question about the difference, like whether or not that he sees the team going in the five man or six man rotation. And he immediately said, I'm basically going to sit down with Sanga and see kind of what he thinks for his uh, workload preferences when he wants to pitch on his cadence. And he also said, like, of course, like to have a six man rotation, you need six starting pitchers that you trust. That's going to be a huge part of that. Because I think right now on the Mets roster, there's basically two in Kodai Sanga and Jose Quintana, and you still have David Peterson, Tyler McGill, but I think those guys are more of like filler five, six, seven types. So again, the getting the whole the step one of having a six-man rotation is having six starting pitchers, but he did say that specifically. Another guy we're going to talk about here, pitchers coming from Japan are used to pitching every fifth day, every sixth day rather than every fifth day, with five days of rest rather than four days of rest, as is the normal major league schedule. So that is going to be important. I also just love so much. That's something I think is more of an issue in terms of other sports like football and basketball, but an executive coming in and saying like, I'm, I'm going to cater my strategy to the personnel I already have and the players who I want to succeed rather than saying, this is my system. This is my strategy. I don't care who you players are. You're going to bend to this, but it's already just, you're already seeing the open-mindedness of Stearns, the collaboration of Stearns and just being able to play the cards he's dealt and use the best strategy possible to go the way we want to go. Oh yeah. The M- the NBA loves doing that. They're like JJ Redick. You can only shoot off a catch, like catch and shoot. What if you shoot off the dribble? And it's like, that's not me. And then he had a mediocre career for the first like five years. And then he started getting catch and shoot. And you're like, oh, he can score 15 a game. He's great. Like, I, I love to see that David Stearns has the wherewithal to be like, there's a lot of good players here. I'm not going to change what they're doing. Let's adapt and fill in the spots around them. Definitely. And I think that is the biggest thing with an executive. That's kind of the thing most people fear. We didn't have that fear with David Stearns, of course. A lot of trust Never. in a lot of trust in this in this uh, chat room over here, in this podcast from David Stearns, but that is something that you fear sometimes, especially when you see other teams, possibly in cities that we share, have press conferences where it seems like they're all over the place organizationally. It seems like they have they don't really have a message or a mantra or a mindset or any kind of coherent clue what's going on moving forward. I'm just happy that our general, our president of baseball operations talked to the media and no one talked about bunting. That's all I'm really happy about. I was just about. about to say. I was like, I'm glad that there was not a mention of bunting and the lies of that it's increased in the game. It's a, it's a just straight out false statement hasn't increased at all. And I can promise you it will not be increasing more, more and more teams are going to bunt less and less because it's just giving away outs. It doesn't make sense. That's me getting on the soapbox and yelling about bunting. Now let's talk about the fun part here. The thing that you guys came for free agency. It's finally starting. We can talk about some players here and boy, oh boy, there are a lot of players that the Mets could bring in that could really, really help shape out this team to be a championship contender. And the first foremost, it's not going to be Shohei Otani. You guys know about him. Let's talk more about the new player out in Japan, Yoshinobu Yamamoto. This guy is just absolutely disgusting. I'm going to give you just like the, the quick numbers on him. I think he's had like a 1-5, a sub-2 ERA over the last three full seasons where he's thrown almost, I want to say, 600 innings in that time, which is just absolutely absurd uh he's got devastating stuff pitched well in the world baseball classic throws like mid to high 90s just wipe out stuff 14 k's in his last start in the mpb there's nothing not to like about this guy but i I of course have to hand it over to the pitching man of the of the podcast mr james shiano give us some more 
I got you. Was was a little less than 600 innings over the last three years, about like 550, 540. But the thing about Yamamoto is that he's coming over rarely at this incredibly young age, 25 years old, which I believe was about the same age that Yu Darvish and Masahiro Tanaka were when they came over as kind of the two big Japanese pitchers who commanded these mega deals. And when I say mega deals, it's not we're going to Yamamoto is going to absolutely blow those two guys out of the water. He already, just yeah. based on the where this pitching market is this offseason and how much pitching took a hit last season in Major League Baseball because of the change rules, I like the bidding seems like it's going to start $200 million. And again, he's 25 years old. He throws a fastball in the upper 90s that gets whiffs. He is a back-to-back, might be a third time in a row, uh, Sawamura winner, which is Japan's version of the Cy Young. He's won the last three MPB triple crowns and quadruple crowns, something that we told you guys a little bit about a few episodes ago, quadruple crowns. that's We're gonna, we're only interested in quadruple crowns now in the Mets Up podcast. But he there's so, there's so much good about his arsenal. And it's funny because there's so much conversation right now about what he is and what these, these pitches have, but there's so little actual data. Like I went to three different sources trying to look up some information on like more about what his pitches are, the the um, how this arsenal looks, the physics of them, rather than just like the, the ERA, the whip, the strikeout rate, the stats, and a lot of different stuff, a lot of different stuff, and not a lot of citing information. I was I spent like a half hour in a coffee shop earlier today on uh, like a legit Japanese advanced stats website trying to translate <laughs> pages. I went, I just couldn't, I couldn't find enough stuff, so I, I quit really frustratingly. I think people would have like been looking at my laptop in there being like what like they probably thought I was significantly more intelligent than I was like some kind of like hacker or coder or something no I'm trying to find Yoshinobu Yamamoto's whiff rate on his curveball against right-handed batters but you know what couldn't really do it but main things we're going to see here is that Yamamoto has a fastball that is what's enviable of modern pitching right now where he has this very low release point high induced vertical break and it gets whiffs inside the strike zone he releases it basically at his shoulder it's a really weird looking pitch to where where he releases the ball i don't know if you've ever seen video of him pitching or remember him from the wbc last year but he's releasing the ball like his arms like a slingshot at his shoulder and the release is very easy and it does look like he's kind of just rocking back and forth which is important because he's only about 510 maybe like 190 dripping wet not a big guy similar to kodai sanga but he still does that get that great velocity and it's hard to see it because releasing it so low relatively, basically like five, five and a half feet above the ground and is sitting like 94 to 96, can't get up 97, 98. And we'll sit there deep in the games. He threw 140 pitches in that last start in the championship in the MPB. So right there. And he threw that pitch about 50% of the time, which even is a little low for Japanese pitchers. But that's something that I remember speaking. I remember seeing and we're seeing Kodai Sanga talk about this last year before he came over that. He did love his fastball, but he wanted to be able to throw it less. And Japanese coaches instruct you to throw it more and more and more because it's still a little bit old school in terms of baseball. So the fact that he was throwing that pitch 50% of the time and it was getting great results, I'm interested to see wherever he signs how much he does wind up throwing that in the major leagues. Yeah, I mean, like the way that I feel like this can really resonate with Mets fans to understand what we mean about like that release point thing. And it's it's not the same, but the I think the idea and the principle is like Tom Seaver was famous for like the drop and drive. Like he would get, he would drop get down low and drive out towards towards home plate when he would pitch. And that's what kind of made those pitches look like they had a little more zip, makes it look like that fastball's rising at times. And not that Saw- or, uh, Yoshinobu Yamamoto is doing the same thing. Almost got me saying Sawamura as I'm reading the notes here. But not that he pitches it the same way, but the idea is like that lower release point with that spin, with that ride, with that jump that it has, is what makes that fastball even more lethal, even more unhittable, which we've seen uh, lots of hitters in the MPB struggle with. Yeah, and Joe Ryan's a guy who, when he was coming up through the minor leagues, people said he had through an invisible, which he was kind of the first one who made the style of fastball, I guess, notorious, where you have a low release point. And there are plenty of videos of Yamamoto that are now trickling out from the MPB and just from the World Baseball Classic last year. So if you guys want to know what we mean, go check some of these videos out. They're all over Twitter. Just search his name. You'll find 100, because right now everyone's the foremost expert in Yoshinobu yeah. Yamamoto. The big pitch that he has, though, and this is similar to Sanga and similar to a lot of Japanese pitchers. It's a splitter. Some people have called it a forkball. It looks more like a splitter to me. I've seen him call a splitter more to me, so I'm going to call it a splitter. And the cool thing is it sits like 90, 89 to 91 yeah. is where I've seen it. And that's very similar to you guys just saw Nathan Navaldi just run roughshod through another postseason, just dominate for the Rangers, be their ace on the way to a World Series. And Alex Cobb has rejuvenated himself in his mid to late 30s throwing a hard splitter like this as well. Looks like his fastball falls off the table. And these are stats that I got from Just Baseball. Mark, uh, Mark knows uh, the guy who runs that, Aram Layton. Me and Aram have, have uh, butted heads a few times about this. And like he did write a really good article about Yamamoto's stuff, but there was no sighting of any data anywhere. So I'm always very curious where he gets his information. Him and I once had a nice little Twitter fight about Von Grissom. 
not <laughs> never playing shortstop, which I, I knew that was going to happen. I was like, no, I see look his arm strength, the baseball savant. He can't play shortstop. And he's like, no, look at this throw in a video. I'm like that, that I don't care, but I digress again. So the data that just baseball had in this is that that splitter had almost an 80% ground ball rate and a 50% chase rate, but he also threw it 30% of the time. And more often than not, inside the strike zone, which is very different than Kodai Sanga and the fork ball, the ghost fork, like we talked about a lot this season, where that pitch was mostly out of the strike zone. It was a whiff pitch. So this pitch from Yamamoto gets soft contact, gets ground balls, gets called strikes, and it gets chases when he does choose to go out of the strike zone with it. This is this is the pitch that's probably going to set him apart. This is a pitch that I think is going to be the bread and butter for Yamamoto as he comes to the major leagues. And this paired with that fastball with the great inverted vertical break and the great velocity and the great release point. That is the one-two punch that's going to make him potentially an ace in the major leagues. Yeah, and I mean, if the Mets sign him, obviously we will do an even deeper dive into what Yamamoto's got. There's a lot more players to talk about this free agency, but in terms of just straight-up starting pitchers, the list starts with Yoshinobu Yamamoto. Again, like James said, go on Twitter, go on YouTube, go on the internet and just type in his name, watch him pitch. He's fascinating, incredibly good, uh, and super excited to see him come over to the U.S. and see how it goes. Yes, and he still has a curveball that has a little bit more horizontal break, and like that's the pitch that is the only other pitch in his arsenal that last year he threw more than 10% of the time, based on what I could find. And he also mixes in a sweeper, which is barely kind of like how Kodai was like kind of throwing a show-me sweeper for part of the year, and then a cutter, too, which is a pitch he uses more against lefties, get some soft contact. So a lot of stuff here to work with. And as we saw from Kodai Sanga, it's probably not the finished product of what his repertoire will look like in the major leagues. A lot of this is going to change. Everything's going to change. He's going to be using a new baseball. He's going to be living in a new country, learning a new language. A lot of things are going to change between now and opening day for Yoshinobu Yamamoto. But that is your guys' primer of him. Take that. And I mean, he's, there's a lot to be excited about with him. And he is, again, he's the prize of this pitching market, even this free agency, basically, besides Shohei Otani. Yeah, and now to speak about the rest of the starting pitching available, there's a couple other big names here, but we'll say like there's maybe a lack of theoretical aces in this free agent market right now, even though there's at least probably two, three, three. What do you think, James? Two or three? Three and a half. I don't know. Three, three and, and a half. I made a tier list. I'm going to put it on Twitter tomorrow morning as this podcast comes out too, so you guys will see what I think of this pitching market. But you have Yamamoto, who is like has the same thing of like young, throws hard, like looks yep. like an ace. And then you have two guys right below him, but next to each other, who are next to each other in a tier, but for totally different reasons. And one is Blake yeah, Snell, so different. and one is Aaron Nola. These two are not the same in any way, besides being kind of similar in what they can give you, which is Snell, as in like, I'm probably going to be really effective, but the workloads are going to be kind of concerning. And I mean, you, I might just wake up one day, click my heels together and not be that good anymore. Whereas Aaron and also, <laughs> or I might mess around and win two Cy Youngs possibly in like eight years. So yeah, no, actually the seven full major league season. I want to talk about this too, because Blake's now it's not official yet, but it really feels like by the end of this week, by the next time we talk to you guys, he's going to become the 22nd pitcher in the history of baseball with two Cy Young awards. Yes. Do you want to hear the other guys on that list? Do you want to just get a taste of them? Yeah, give, give me give me some of those names. Roger Clemens, Randy Johnson, Greg Maddox, Steve Carlton, Clayton Kershaw, <laughs> Max Scherzer, Justin Verlander, Pedro Martinez, Tom Seaver, Jim Palmer, Sandy Koufax, Jacob DeGrom, Corey Kluber, Tim Lincecum, Johan Santana, Roy Holiday, Tom Glavin, Brett Saberhagen, Denny McLean, Gaylord Perry, Bob Gibson, Blake Snell. There's a lot of really good names on that list. Bob Gibson did not even win his first Cy Young until his eighth year in the league. And Blake Snell is two in his first <laughs> seven. Denny McLean, I'm sure you guys all remember Denny McLean of the Detroit Tigers in the 60s. He won Cy Young in his fourth and fifth year and was literally never good again. And that's something that's <laughs> a little scary to me about Blake Snell. Brett Saberhagen even won two in his first six, peaked there. Johan basically won two in four years. Tim Lincecum won a Cy Young in his second and third years in the league. And Corey Kluber, I think, in his third and fifth years in the league. So there is a precedent to someone winning two Cy Youngs in their first seven years and really not getting to that level ever again. But there's also some precedent for guys not doing that and having great careers after that. So there's a lot of way this Blake Snell stuff can go. I think he's just this is one of the most fascinating careers we're ever going to see in our lives. Blake Snell is the definition of high risk, high reward. Like yeah. there's there's a lot of risk involved in him, but boy, when it hits, it's going to hit hard. Cy Young Award type stuff. Even the last two years for Blake Snell, he made really weird different adjustments that got him to this high level. Because he started 2022 and he was bad. He had two months where yeah. he was so bad. He couldn't do anything. And it was basically because he kept trying to throw this change up to hitters on both sides of the plate. He had no feel for it whatsoever. So then he wound up getting rid of that and just throwing all fastballs and sliders. Got there. And then this year, he rediscovered the changeup. He liked the curveball more in the slider. He said after the season, he didn't have a feel for his slider the entire year. 
and he won a Cy Young award from a pitch that he threw the second most the year before. And it was all curveballs, fastballs, changeups. Like it's it's great when it's good. It looks really good. But then you also like are like, I don't know. Like, do I want an ace who walks 12% of hitters? And also, Blake Snell won the Cy Young in 2018. He's probably going to win in 2023. Each of those years, he threw exactly 180 innings pitch. Every other year in the major leagues, he's thrown 129, 107, COVID 50, 128, 128. So yeah. it's like I'm either going to throw less than 130 or 180 on the dot. And like that is kind <laughs> of a weird thing in modern baseball too, especially a team like the Mets where like innings feel more important than most other things. And I, I get a little scared of someone who I don't I don't really say like I can lock you in for 160, 170 off the bat. Well, how about I tell you about someone you could lock in for 160, 170 off the bat? Look at that segue right there. Pro podcasters. How about Aaron Nola? Aaron Nola, since 2017, hasn't thrown less than 160 innings outside of the COVID year, where he still threw 71, which feels like a lot of innings in the COVID season. 71 feels like a lot. But since 2017, 168's his low. The last three years, I think he's right around 600 innings pitched, which is pretty impressive. I mean, you guys have seen him. He's played for the Phillies his entire career. We've we've gotten a taste of him plenty of times. Granted, the last the last few times we've actually gotten to him, but yeah. up until like those last few appearances, he was probably one of the most dominant pitchers against the Mets, at least in our lifetime or the recent uh, recent history. He's been disgusting, and he's so the opposite of Blake Snell, of a guy who's just like consistent, solid. Probably not going to win you a Cy Young ever, but he's also probably never going to be as bad as Blake Snell will be, like in his bad years. So that's kind of the yin and yang with those two. Yeah, it's just so much because Snell's just so much stuff over command. And Nola is so much feel. He's got the knuckle curve. He's got the change up. He's got the two seamer. Like everything kind of works together. And the big thing with Nola, especially in terms of where, where, what he would be as a signing to with the Mets, is that he's pitched his whole career in front of mostly bad defenses in one of the most notorious hitters' parks in the league. And he's been running home run of fly ball rates well over 10% for most of his career. And this year, one of the worst years of his entire career, if not the worst year besides 2021, 16% home run of fly ball rate. So well above the league average. And he's another guy who I've talked to you guys a little bit about why I don't like XFIP, using it as a stat metric to judge pitching. And XFIP is you take a pitcher's fifth, but you neutralize the home run rate for league average, which is stupid because some guys, you should never neutralize the home run rate, especially people who use that for something like fantasy baseball. It's like, oh, I know what ballpark he's going to be pitching in. I don't want a league average yeah. home run rate. Like if I'm pitching in Philadelphia compared to City Field, that's not, it's going to be very different home run rates. I'm expecting that. But him getting to a ballpark that's bigger, with better defense, I think could really just make him settle into like a nice late career groove where he is a guy who you can just count on for a 3-0 to 3-5 ERA. You're not, you can set your watch to it. He's probably, you're probably not super comfortable with him pitching game one of your playoff series, but you'll feel really good if he's pitching two or three. And I think yeah. that is like a big reason to temper Nola expectations. Cause I think for a while he was considered this like super ace, but he just doesn't really have that pitch mix. He doesn't throw hard. He doesn't have like wipeout slide. That's going to be like, yes, I'm going to shut you down. You guys even saw this postseason. There were some starts where you're like, wow, Aaron Nola's unhittable. And there were some starts where you're like, get Aaron Nola out of the game right now. And like, that's kind of how he is, even if you're watching him start and start out in the regular season. But he's he's somehow become underrated as being one of the more consistent pitchers of the last half decade. And I think he's someone who would be a wonderful fit in New York. Oh, definitely. How about these, these next three guys here? I'm going to tell you to pick one here. Sonny Gray, Jordan Montgomery, Kenta Maeda. I know Kenta's a little bit a little bit more different because he's like coming off the Tommy John stuff, but when Kenta's been on, he's been pretty disgusting. Which one of those three you think you're uh, most excited to talk about? I think probably Sonny Gray. I think the other guy that would go in that tier with Gray and Montgomery is probably Marcus Stroman. But I can imagine he's not Ooh, yeah. I can imagine he's not coming back, so I didn't even want to include him in our conversation here. That's he'll, fair. He'll, he'll get his name said, but that's about it. But Sonny Gray changed so many things last year with the with the twins like especially he added a new sweeper which was a twin special we talked about that a lot with pablo lopez he ditched his hard slider he threw less sinkers he threw a new cutter he had more change-ups more uh less curveballs and all kind of co coalesced with him having one of the best years of his entire career and it was all driven by that sweeper over 40 percent whiffs the best run value for any sweeper in the whole league for a starting pitcher second was kyle gibson the guy who i'm gonna talk about later you hate and sonny gray also has highest fastball velocity since 2020, even as age 34 season, he's he's a finalist for the Cy Young Award, whether that was deserved or not. I don't think it was. Kyle Bradish got robbed, but got robbed. Sonny, Sonny Gray is a good pitcher. He's now put a couple of really good years together with a lot of major adjustments happening. And there's a lot to be said about a guy who's still so active in like reinventing himself at this latter stage of his career. Like Sonny Gray is basically a 10 year pro. Like he's like he's a guy who like he's been around for most of our adult lives watching baseball and he's still learning new things, changing his approach 
doing new things when new people come tell him new ideas. He's someone who also just seems like a great person to just have around. He's Vanderbilt. He's been a high pedigree. He's always seems to be on teams that are finding their ways to like overperform a little bit. I like Sonny Gray a lot. I think Sonny Gray has a good mix in this class of upside while not breaking the bank. And I think he's someone who also good fit. Yeah, I mean, uh, we'll see how he feels maybe about coming back to New York because obviously pitching with the Yankees didn't go so well. They kind of ran him out of town. So maybe he'll be a little bit scared if he is. Whatever. Don't come here then. But if you want to come here and pitch, we'll be happy to take you. That's for sure. Yeah, I mean, again, like I think that was more of like the Yankees being like, you can't throw these pitches anymore and our ballpark gives up. Shout out Larry Rothschild. Yeah, like that. I think that was a bad situation for everybody involved. I wouldn't like paint him as like can't handle New York because a lot of people hate him. I'd be like can't handle not throwing your best pitch when your pitching coach doesn't let you I think that's where if you take any pitcher in baseball and you disallow them for throwing their best pitch anything they do on the field will be impressive it was like Jameson Tyone this year with the Cubs the first like two months they're like stop throwing that curveball and he pitched terribly why? and then they're like okay throw it again and then he's like see I'm good now like why would you why would you tell me to change Shout out uh, David Stern saying he wants to talk to the players. Remember that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then I want to talk about the other two guys you mentioned too because Jordan Montgomery is someone who like was, again, deep in this Texas Rangers World Series run. Probably one of the biggest reasons they even got there. I think I told yeah. you this like sneakily at the deadline that that was one of my favorite moves because they just you needed did. to keep their heads above water. And he's a guy who every fifth day, for, since he's been in the major leagues, I think besides getting TJ early in his career, with the Yankees, I believe, like his first or second year with the club, just out there every fifth day. And we actually made a bet about this before last season because I've always loved Jordan Montgomery, even though he's like kind of the exact opposite pitcher I like because it's just like sinkers and change-ups and just like have some fun out there and just like get there every fifth day, make some contact and get back to the bench. You don't like him for that reason because you never really saw the upside, right? Hold on, backtrack. Not that I don't like him. He's a Gamecock. I always I always support my Gamecocks. I just didn't see the upside that you saw then. But it's I never I never didn't like him. It was yeah. just you were you were you were Paul Seawald than him a little bit. You were, a you were bit. getting a little excited. You were getting a little excited, and I, I won the Paul Seawall bet between us last year. So I was feeling hot. I was like, you know what? Pitching James over here thinks he knows everything. I'm gonna take that. Yeah, and Mark and I actually had made a bet before this season. What if Jordan Montgomery would ever have a year in his career with more than 150 innings pitch and lowering the 3.5 ERA. And I made it mostly because he was out of the doldrums in Yankee Stadium, was in Bush Stadium, great place to pitch, great defense over there. He gets traded to Texas, another great place to pitch. And what do you know, first year of our bet, I won it. So that was it. And Mark and I are now one-on-one on pitching bets. So you got to think of another stupid one for this year. But he made a lot of weird changes in the repertoire, like between going from the Yankees to the Cardinals to the Rangers. But eventually, after all of that, wound up in the exact same place he started, which was throwing a lot of sinkers and just like using his massive size and his great extension to get on top of the ball and get a lot of ground balls and weak content contact. And that's great. He was a central piece to a World Series run. I think he's a guy who's cool, who's out there every fifth day and something the Mets need. Now, the other guy you mentioned, Kenta Maeda, he's one who is significantly riskier, but I think just a lot of upside there. Sneaky, like basically the same age as Sonny Gray, 35, which I was shocked about, and had a really nice bounce back this year after his Tommy John surgery. He got hurt like right at the end of April, right after the surgery again, and that was after a crazy blow up against the Yankees where he gave up 10 earned and three innings pitch, but he came back in June and was fantastic the rest of the season. 90 innings, 3-3 ERA, 29% strikeouts, 7% walks, 1.09 whip. Really, really good. His velocity improved as the season went on, Got back to 90-91, which is still like not very good, but he opened up the season 88-89, and his whole career sat 92-93. Sat 91 was a big deal. His splitter was still awesome. His fastball was still good, but his slider was the one thing that didn't really come back. He always had that really good sharp slider that was like his calling card with the Dodgers that played off the splitter and in between the fastball well. But this time was less sharp, a little loopier, less velo. So that's kind of the linchpin here to see if he can be like a 2-3 again as opposed to a 3-4-5, but... I I don't it, I'm curious to see what his contract looks like after a hundred inning season after Tommy John surgery at 35 years old where he actually was effective. Yeah, no, it'll be interesting to take a look at where he's going to get paid. I'm I'm not sure what it. I really don't even have a clue. Is there anybody even compared to? I don't know. I mean, yeah, there's one guy I compare it to. It's another guy on this list. It's uh, you know, former Met, a former friend of ours, uh, Mr. Seth Lugo. And yes. he's someone who this is this this I mean this one really hurt for us Mets fans all this year long hurts, because yeah. you're like oh I guess he was a good starting pitcher the whole time but he's a guy who jumped from 60 innings to 140 innings his velocity went down season went on he still has the great curveball he added a new sweeper in September that all of a sudden looked amazing as well that was kind of better than his old traditional slider 
He still also pitched in Petco, which is just like the greatest place to pitch on earth. The humidity, the moisture, the big fences, the great defense. Like that was it was kind of, it was weird things going on this year. Like I me, mean, Michael Waka was like one of the most valuable yeah. pitchers in baseball. He's fool's gold. I don't he's someone who I'm a little, a little scared about. But but yeah, Lugo's interesting. Him and Maeda just being these guys who have had arm issues, who are have coming off huge workload increases. I I have no idea what they're gonna get or what they should get or what they will get. All right, let's go ahead and each pick one more pitcher to talk about here before we get going into our draft. I'm gonna let you. I'm gonna let you have the first pick. You're the pitching guy. What, pick one pitcher. You get to get on your soapbox here and just talk about for like a minute. Who do you wow. got? This is you're gonna think I'm insane, Eric Fetty. I know. I knew it was gonna be Eric Fetty. I knew it. I saw the notes and I. I said I let you go first because I was gonna pick Eric Fetty and just be like a jerk a little bit and yeah, you can't mind do that. just like for a little bit. But I, I, I knew you were going to pick Eric Fetty. So go ahead. Go for him. No, Eric Fetty this year. I mean, you guys remember him as being the guy in the Nationals that you'd be like, nice, Eric Fetty's pitching today. But he went to Korea this year and completely dominated the KBO. 20 wins, ERA right at two, 200 strikeouts, under one whip. He was like flexing after strikeouts on the mound. He said, great article from Jesse Doherty of the Washington Post. Amazing about Eric Fetty's transformation as a person, as a pitcher, as an athlete, everything over the last year. Eric Fetty said in that article that he couldn't go to restaurants in Korea without getting completely mobbed by people, paparazzi, really? everything. He said he literally couldn't leave. He said in Washington, he would go out and maybe one person recognize him. He said in Korea, <laughs> he literally couldn't walk down the street. He was a complete global superstar over there. But the big thing is that nine years in the pros, basically Eric Fetty said that he never even knew a thing about like pitch shapes and pitch design. Never. Shout out to Washington Nationals organization. Yeah, so a lot like, about ev- them. everything was on the edge. He he wasn't a member of the Nationals organization anymore. Sold his house, went to Scottsdale, went to Push Performance, a pitching lab out there. Got healthy, hit the weight room really hard, and tweaked everything. He said his shoulder, which was always an issue for him, felt better than ever. I think he had some bicep tendonitis too. He got rid of. He learned a new changeup over there that apparently is disgusting. He added more sweep to his slider. Now it looks more like a sweeper than a traditional slider. And he threw those two pitches: his fastball and his curveball all about 25% of the time, something he said his analytics staff and the KBO told him to do, four pitches throw him evenly. And like I, I don't know, this, just, this, this smells to me like one of those crazy things that you could look up next year at the All-Star break, and Eric Fetty is like a 3-3 ERA, like a 25% next, strikeout rate for $6 next million. Dollars. Next, it might be the next Merrill Kelly. It might be the next Merrill Kelly. It's possible. But I, I think he's a guy who, like, you're filling out the back of a rotation. There probably won't be crazy investment there. It's probably worth a shot to see if Eric Fetty actually has become this global superstar. I'm going to also take a trip to Asia here and talk about another Asian pitcher. That's going to be Shota Imanaga, who uh, you guys might remember if you watch the WBC like I do. You're a freak about baseball. He pitched in the championship game against the USA in the World Baseball Classic. He's a lefty. He's crafty. He's 30 years old. He's expected to be posted, I think, uh, at, at some point. He's, I believe he's it actually was today. Over. Oh, really? Okay, perfect. So even better. He was posted today. And what's interesting about him is that, one, he had a higher K rate and a lower walk rate than Yamamoto, which Yamamoto has been absolutely disgusting. So that's a a good guy to be better than at certain things. And if you look at his numbers the last few years, he's a guy who sits around that 140, 150 inning mark, and he's had a sub-3 ERA since like 2021. So the last few years, he's really figured things out. This year, we saw a huge jump in his his K rate just in general. Um, and he's just got good stuff. Like his fastball, as you put in the notes, is perfect. And it makes sense. He's another guy who comes from that low angle, but it rides up. And even if it's in the mid-90s, it still looks good. That slider's his primary off-speed pitch. The stuff looks great. He's crafty. He's probably just going to be like a middle rotation guy, maybe back end or whatever it's going to be. But it seems like he's going to be able to make an impact in a rotation. And again, be happy to bring him into City Field in the friendly confines in Queens. See how he pitches out here. Totally. It feels like his mark is going to be more similar to Kodai Sangas than Yoshinobu Yamamoto, just because yeah. he is older. The workloads weren't crazy, similar to Kodai's back in Japan the last few years, but he had much, he has much, it seems like just walks so many less batters than Kodai Sangas. That yeah. seems like that is a fact. And he had more, even more strikeouts over there than Kodai had the last few years. Still doesn't have the ghost fork, which is a defining factor. Like I'm worried about Imanaga, whether any of these off-speed pitches translate. Imanaga. 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 I always say Imanaga. Imanaga. I tried to Italianize the name. I'm, I'm a yeah. lunatic. But yeah, that fastball shape's crazy. And you guys, he was absolutely dialing it up against lefties in the WBC. He got Kyle Schwarber looked yep. stupid against it a few times. That clips around too. But he's someone who's interesting. And that was us like taking as much time 
as we possibly could to go over all these pitchers. We're we're the like length of a normal episode. We haven't talked about any other positions, but we still got Jack Flair, the Eduardo Rodriguez, Kyle Gibson, Mike Clevenger, Michael Lorenzen, Frankie Montes, Luis Severino, Tyler Molly, Brad Keller is a little sleeper. A lot of pitchers to talk about here. A lot more guys we're going to talk to you guys about the rest of this offseason. And, you know, anyone that the Mets do wind up bringing in, there's definitely going to be at least a starting pitcher brought in by this team. We're going to go deep on them. Yeah, 100%. And as we go on throughout the offseason, we'll probably like just sprinkle in a, one or two guys every single episode that we want to focus on that we think the Mets should get, which also leads us into what we're going to wrap up the episode here with a little bit, which is going to be a little free agent draft. So me and James, five picks each, uh, we're going to do a snake draft. So we'll figure out who goes first here, who doesn't. I, you know what? Again, I can give you the first pick. I can give you the first pick. And I'll get I'll take two on the backside of the snake draft here. But uh, we're going to draft the best fits for the New York Mets. So this doesn't necessarily mean who we think is the best talent available on the free agent market. We're simply going with who is the best fit. And we'll give a little reason why as well. So, uh, James, the honors are yours. The tee box is yours. First pick. The first pick again. That's so nice of you. Wow. With a, gen- yeah. with a generous uh, co-host. But it's, it's going to be Yoshinobu Yamamoto though, very easily. Okay. I think he's... He's the best pitcher on the market. The Mets need a frontline starting pitcher. He throws really hard. He has multiple off-speed offerings that are great. Him and Kodesango already seem like to have a, a pretty good relationship that could possibly grow a little bit. And I just I think that he's he could come here and be a star immediately. Yeah. Um they I mean that's there's there's two picks that should be going number one. It's either Yoshinomu Yamamoto or the other Japanese guy by the name of Shohei Otani, which I will be taking. I don't care if he can't pitch ever again in his career. The guy is one of the better hitters in Major League Baseball right now. I'd love to see him come to Queens if he ever figures out how to pitch again with the Tommy John stuff that's going on. Even better, uh, I if if I was writing the checks and had all, all the money to make the decisions, Shohei Otani is the number one guy I'm going after, without a doubt. The most talented player we have ever seen in Major League Baseball history. Doesn't mean the best, but in terms of sheer talent in a vacuum, there has been nobody more talented than Shohei Otani, and he'll get a chance to play in a playoff game out in New York. And he's not, he's not going to do that with the Angels. He's leaving them. Come to the, come to the East Coast. See what it's all about. You've seen L.A. It's an overrated city. Come to the best city in the world in New York. So Shohei Otani is going to be my first pick there. Coming now back on the backside of this draft, I'm going to go on the pitching side. And I'm gonna I'm gonna take Aaron Nola. I think Aaron Nola is the guy that you probably had circled as well as maybe your next pick. We just talked about how great he is, and just the fact that he's gonna give us consistent innings in a better ballpark with a better defense. I'm super interested in what that could possibly look like because looked pretty darn good in Philadelphia. Yeah, look great in Philadelphia. We just talked to you guys a lot about both of these pitches we just said. So we're not gonna kill it, but I think there's a lot of positive progression that could happen for Aaron Nola if he did come to the Mets and just someone who could be so stable in the middle of his rotation just throw a lot of innings I love guys who throw innings you guys know I love how much I love innings either and he's oh he's yeah. the best one next thing I'm going to say we haven't talked about the bullpen yet that's been a real hot button Ooh. issue for a lot of Mets fans recently a lot of questions about the bullpen on Twitter a lot of people being like what are we gonna do about this bullpen and I think this is one that I don't know if he's gonna he would want to come because I think that this person wants to be a closer and we have Edwin Diaz, so that we cannot get a better closer because there's not one on earth. But I would I would say, hey Josh Aether, what do you want? Like how how do you want to come here and do this? Because as Mets fans know, as baseball fans know, sometimes you play the free agent market with relievers and it can get a little bit sketchy. You just yeah. you try to go for these guys in the middle. Your Antonio Bastardos, your uh, I mean, you're just Why you gotta bring up that name. I'm just saying, I'm so you, happy you give a reliever anywhere from like seven to eleven million dollars, and you're like, this did not work out how I wanted it to work out. It always kind of feels that way over time, and I think that is something that is just because, as I tell you guys a lot, relievers are very fickle year over year. The stats that most people use to uh, judge these players are not really stats; they're indicative of future success. You guys, remember Aaron Loops ERA a couple of years ago? Yeah. He has been horrific since that happened. Not saying that's not someone who can be a good player again, because that's how relieving works, but it's just kind of how you have to judge these relief pitchers. So I think that is, that's an important thing to think about right now. And that's kind of why I think that guy, getting a guy like Hayther, who you can give money to, he's completely proven. He had that one weird slip up two years ago. And then some of David Stearns has a lot of familiarity with, I'm sure he credits David Stearns and that Milwaukee front office with a lot of the reasons that he became so good recently, but it's all about whether or not he's willing to be a guy who, I don't know who isn't who isn't going to be the guy anymore. Like that'll take a lot, yeah. and that can also be a conversation you have with Edwin Diaz because one of these guys is a lefty, one of these guys is a righty. Like that can be the greatest yeah. two-headed monster in relief that we've basically ever seen in baseball. And you can yeah. tell, if everyone's on board, like we saw Edwin Diaz pitch a lot of eighth innings the last year he was held in 2022, and that's something that we applauded. That was great when you're facing a more 
a more scary part of the lineup in the eighth inning than the ninth inning, your better pitcher should pitch the eighth instead of the ninth. That was something I thought was kind of weird in the postseason. These managers weren't managing like that. But to have both of those guys say, I can get any right or any lefty out in any second of any day, I think that's kind of beautiful, especially when like neither of them even struggled with the other side of the plate anyway. Yeah. Especially a guy like Hayter, like to have that slider sinker against any lefty that you possibly see. Maybe a guy like Bryce Harper. I don't know. We see him a good amount. Kyle, Kyle Schwarber. Yeah, maybe Matt Olson. Yeah, maybe we see those guys a little bit. But shopping in the middle class relief market a lot of times comes back to burn you. And Davidson has never done that in the past. So it would be I'm not so it's not something I expect, but getting probably the two of the four best relievers in the entire sport two, three, maybe even the top two best relievers in the entire sport, I think would go a really long way to, again, solidifying this bullpen like Mets fans really want. And then my next right, pick there. Snake it back. Yeah, snake it back, solidify the rotation more. I'm going to stay away from Blake Snell because I'm scared of him, but I would I would, yeah. I would, would get give Sonny Gray a nice three-year deal Whoa. for what he wants probably, maybe if, if it's not crazy. And then that's the kind of guy who, you let's say you have Yamamoto and Sanga, and then you have Sonny Gray. Again, because we're playing on my draft year, like that's suddenly now a top three of your rotation. We're like, I'm comfortable going into the season, going into a playoff series with these three guys as my three guys. Sonny Gray in game one, I'm not super comfortable. Sonny Gray in game yeah. three, I'm a awesome. I'm awesome. And yeah, I already told you guys all about him, so you guys got that. But I think a lot of good things can happen with Sonny Gray. All right, great. You left the guy that I I thought you were going to go with my Gamecock, Jordan Montgomery. <laughs> I, I would take Jordan Montgomery in this rotation again. Like you said, innings eater, solid. We saw what he was able to do when he got out of Yankee Stadium. I'm all about it and can never have too many South Carolina Gamecocks hanging around Queens. So I'm going to go Jordan Montgomery in round three, bringing it back to round four. I'm going to go to the offensive side here again, and I'm going to take Teoscar Hernandez. Uh, Teoscar Loki had a really, really good ending to the season. Uh, he was one of their hotter bats down the stretch part of their push for the postseason. And what I like about Teoscar is while he's probably a DH, like in a perfect world, he's your DH because he's not a particularly great defensive outfielder. He can still play it, though. He's not like uh, inept. He's not uh, incapable of playing left field or right field, whatever it is. But if you look at what Teoscar Hernandez has been able to do the last three years playing with Toronto and Seattle, he's averaging about 145 games a year with 28 homers, 31 doubles, 95 RBIs, and 803 OPS. The Mets lineup is pretty solid, but you throw another right-handed bat like that into the lineup at DH or outfield or whatever it's going to be on any given day, yeah, that makes that lineup a little bit longer, a little bit scarier. Hate to shout out the Phillies. You know what? I won't. I'm going to shout out the Texas Rangers. You look at that lineup. It was a very, very long lineup. They won a World Series because there were no easy outs. You throw a guy like Teoscar Hernandez in there, we know how big of a problem the DH was the past season. Yeah, that Mets lineup would be looking pretty, pretty good. All right. Well, again, throw it back at you. I'm pretty happy that you just left the guy I wanted on the board here. And that is another DH Whoa. option. I think he is someone who is a little more reliable and a little more consistent than Teoscar Hernandez for a lot of the reasons that you just mentioned, but it is Jorge Soler. And Oh, I was thinking about him. The thing that you're losing with Soler compared to Teoscar is that while Teoscar can play the outfield okay, but you don't want him to do it in a perfect world, Jorge Soler really can't really so much. If you're signing no. Jorge Soler like you are, this is this is now our DH. And he's he like, maybe he can do it once in a while, but more or less, this is your designated hitter. But with Jorge Soler, does a lot better than Teoscar Hernandez, which, to bring up your last point, something that the Texas Rangers did significantly better than the Philadelphia Phillies and why they were able to beat the vaunted Arizona Diamondbacks when the Phillies lost to them in seven games, including the last two games in their beloved home ballpark, which I remember very fondly, is that Soler strikes out whiffs, and especially chases, significantly less than Teoscar Hernandez. While Teoscar Hernandez has some of the best power numbers in the whole league, he's been running a barrel rate at the at or better than 90th percentile, basically since he became a full-time player a few years ago in Toronto. He still will just chase every single thing. He loves yeah. making the strike zone bigger. He has one of the worst whiff rates in the league, one of the worst chase rates in the league, one of the worst strikeout rates in the league, and one of the lowest walk rates in the league. And again, while he hits the crap out of the ball on a very consistent basis, those are things I think will wear down over time, especially a guy like Teoscar Hernandez leaves his athletic prime at 31, becomes 32, 33, 34 years old. I'm sure he's going to command a multi-year deal. Whereas Soler, He's been improving his chase rate year after year. He's been improving his K rate year after year. The K rate and the whiff rate, they're still not very good, but the chase rate, 75th percentile this past year, which I shocked me when I saw it earlier today, and his walk rate got above 11% this year. And he Whoa. hits such long home runs. They, like You just want to look at them. And the fact yeah. that he was able to get to this prodigious power, this 36 home runs and 500 plate appearances, 500 that bats, I mean, in Miami, Miami makes... City Field look like Yankee Stadium. Like that is the guy who like you really you guys want a right-handed power bat. You want to solidify DH position. 
put Jorge Soler in the middle of the batting order. I don't think he's going to cost that much because everyone knows he can't play the field. I think Kyle Schwarber is even going to get like his contract from a couple off seasons ago is going to probably even 15, 20% more than Jorge Soler gets this off season because he was younger then and he has a bigger name. Just let me get, let me get my hands on Jorge Soler and see what he can do in the middle of this lineup. And then my right, last, last pick, last pick. I want to talk about someone we haven't talked about, but because we talked, I know about I've, got, I've got a couple pitchers. weirder names in yeah. the five slot for me. I mean, I, I guess this could be like the the potpourri. I, if I want to throw a weird pitcher out there, I think someone. Don't you do it? What? Don't you do it? Uh, I'm not gonna do that one. I'm not gonna do that one. I really picked my lefty reliever. Don't worry, I got that one. But someone who I think is so sneaky, who I'd love to give a shot to, is Frankie Montes. The last Ooh. time, the last time we saw Frankie Montes pitch a full season on a team mm. that wasn't the New York Yankees, he was absolutely filthy, disgusting out in Oakland. I'm pulling up the stats right now. That year was 2021. He threw 190 innings, had 3-3 ERA. He had a 27% strikeout rate, 7% walk rate. He's had arm problems the last few years. The Yankees almost seems like they might like overdo what they do in pitching development with new guys and like kind of inundate them with so much information that you kind of lose track of what the heck is going on. But I think Frankie Montes is someone who isn't going to cost any money because he really didn't pitch at all this year through one inning through 104 the year before and was not good once he got to the Yankees despite having a really good first half for Oakland and he had some arm troubles in 2019 oh yeah no he had the he had the PED suspension in 2019 that cut his breakout season short can't forget about that one but he is someone who is still just 30 years old I think he might actually will be 31 soon he'll turn now uh, to March right before the season he'll turn 31 which is not very old for a pitcher especially a starting pitcher that only has uh, less than 600 innings in his major league career High upside there. A lot of relievers I'd like to mention as well, but I think we were going to do... I think the reliever market might develop a little more slowly than some of the other markets in leagues. So I think we'll, those are guys we'll probably be able to talk about a lot in the next few weeks, but give me Frankie Montas as my wild card last pick of the free agent draft. I like that. That's good upside with Frankie Montas. You kind of made me think now, should I just be going with a crazy upside guy or should I go with one of my Should I go with one of my guys here, James? What with you, one what of your guys. Is? I mean, I think I know if I mean, your guy, where are you going, but... Well, I'm not going with that guy. I'm going with another one. If you remember back to the COVID days, hanging out in the apartment out in Astoria, just being bored guys on Baseball Savant, seeing pitchers that do these just arbitrary things that we like. You throw like 95 plus, you have a high K rate, you throw four pitches. This guy's in relief, and he was picked up for pretty much nothing by the Rays at one point this year. That's going to be Robert Stevenson, someone who... As soon as I just like found out about him and got my eyes on him, I was like, why Why haven't any smart teams gotten this guy yet? Because he does everything like you would want. Like I said, through 97 with his fastball this year, he's got a wipeout slider cutter combination. If you look at his baseball savant page, it's just all red. His hard hit rate was uh, like uh, insane. He had a 38% K rate, an 8% walk rate. Like This guy can be a super, super high leverage back into the bullpen arm that isn't named Edwin Diaz, which the Mets could definitely use. So Robert Stevenson's going to be my uh, my last pick there. Going a little bit weird, going a little crazy, but why not for number five? Robert Stevenson, when he was picked up by the Rays in the beginning of June till the end of the year, had a 43% strikeout rate and a 6% walk rate. With an yep. e- with Sign a, me up. With a two, an ERA started with a two, and just no one even got close to him. I'm trying to load the leaders for that part of the year, but... Got a little uh, wacky for me, but Stevenson is someone who he's not a guy like how much money is he really going to get? Like him and I put Jake Diekman together because the Rays got both of them totally saved their bullpen. The Rays started the year as yeah. a good offensive team with a bad bullpen. And by the end of the year, they were the old Rays again with like the best bullpen in the league on random guys. They picked up midway through the year and no offense, which is kind of funny and ironic, but those two guys both like they're, there's so much there, but like I do, I don't know if teams will trust them. I don't know how much weight they're going to hold like three months at the end of the season. Same with a guy like Ronaldo Lopez, same with a guy like Jordan Hicks. Liam Hendricks is going to be a really interesting case. Hector Neri is going to be a really interesting case. Like this reliever, David Robertson is going to be a really interesting case. Like the way this reliever market develops, I think it's going to be fascinating. But I think it does leave a lot of a lot of meat on the bone for David Stearns and the Mets. Oh, 100%. And of course, guys, we will be going over all the free agents that are being talked about, signed, whatever it is on the Mets Up podcast. So make sure you are following us and downloading the podcast and doing all that good stuff. As well as let us know, who do you think won the draft? Who do you think had a better best fit? Top five here, me or James. We'd love to hear from you guys on Twitter or Instagram, whatever it is. Make sure you're following us at, at Mets Up. If you're looking for the YouTube video version of this, go to the New York Mets YouTube channel and subscribe over there. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Odyssey, download, subscribe, review, comment, whatever it is. Drop us a five-star rating. We do appreciate it. Follow James on Twitter at James underscore Shiano. And me at Neck Mark with a C. Thank you guys for listening and watching, and we'll catch you on the next episode of the Mets Up Podcast. Peace out. Peace out. See you guys next time. <laughs>